Welcome to the podcast of the Urban Mystic. My name is Tim, and for this podcast, I'll be joined by my good friend Steve. Uh, would you mind introducing yourself to the um, to the listeners and uh, just letting them know how we how we met? Sure, great. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for the invite. It's really great to join you. I've enjoyed the first sessions that you've set down for this season, so it's really cool to be able to come in on the conversation. If I remember correctly, we met uh, over a cup of coffee and uh, sort of a group discount eye-rolling session at a church course together, um, and we seem to hit it off uh, quite quickly in terms of uh, asking each other difficult questions and exploring difficult areas. And it was cool. I, th- I thought we, we sort of found each other out as kindred spirits, I thought, in a, in a space of a bit of boredom. Yeah, and we've connected a little bit since then, which has been awesome. I've enjoyed some stimulating conversation with you over a good couple of beers as well, which has also been great. And I'm looking forward to some more of that this evening. I just want to just just add to this that this is Stephen, my second take on this. We uh, we successfully had a wonderful chat that did not save successfully at all. So this will be our second stab at the conversation, and it's going to be a bit strange for both of us having the same conversation a second time. Um, but but we've had good conversations in the past. Uh, we are in lockdown, and I'm 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 caffeined up as opposed to beard up, so. Looking forward to the conversation in a in a different light. Awesome, likewise. Let's let's just jump in then. Um, you know the 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 last two sessions have really just been a been a start, and I, I you know it's been a been a monologue with me trying to present an idea and a concept and get it out there. Um, I'm I'm quite aware that it's quite a stretching concept for a lot of people just from having conversations with them. And I I know that it's a it's a difficult topic to explore, and it's quite emotive for a lot of people. And um, so so I've had a number of interesting conversations, and I I really enjoyed the conversation that that we had last night. And I I wish we actually had that one to deliver. Um, so so it's it's going to be interesting just picking this up again. And thank you for for doing it with me again. You were talking yesterday about uh, first order and second order change, and 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 about uh, how some of this ties into that for you and some of your thinking along the lines of that. I don't know if you if you perhaps just want to start with that. The idea of first and second order change is something I've come across in psychology, um, but something that really strikes me in terms of religion space and specifically. Currently, with, with kind of what you're floating out in the first two sessions, and I know a lot of what your conversations in general are centering around, and quite a few of my thoughts, I thought it might just be a useful departure point from my end. The, the whole idea of first order change is that we have a system that's running, and we decide that it's faulty in some way, or we discover that it's faulty in some way, um, and it's no longer serving us. You know, if the psychological viewpoint is it's very often around the whole idea of utility and is it actually serving us. And so we then go through a process of making tweaks and changes to the system so that that system itself will better serve us. And a lot of what I pick up through what you're talking and a lot of uh, just my sort of reflections on where you know the, the, the Christian religion globally is, and I have less experience with the other religions, um, is that it is continually in this space of needing to apply first order change. You know, the basics are there, everything is just about right. There's, there's just 
elements here and there that need tweaking. And you see it at the local level in communities. You know, people will talk about things like, you know, so there was just more passion in the preaching. If we could just get the music right, or we just had the right kinds of small groups or Wednesday prayer times or whatever. And often it's very program oriented because that's one of the easiest ways to tweak a system. You know, then everything will come right. Um, and we're just waiting on those tweaks. Um, and, and it's also often baptized in, in that sacred language. You know, God is busy with this. You know, God is going to bring a new preacher or change our prayer life or whatever it is, our corporate prayer life at least. Um, and I think it misses the whole point of the invitation to second order change, which is the idea that you realize that the system is so broken that no amount of tweaking it is actually going to change. And you start to let go of the system and you, you, you then are, you are open to holding on to something new. And that's the whole, whole space that, that I see many local congregations in. I think if they were to let go of what they think is working, if they can just work harder at it, you know, it's that flogging the dead horse idea. Let's get a couple of committees together and the harder you flog it, and then at some point it'll get up and run. But there's an invitation and an opportunity, I think, to embrace the idea of, so if it's dead, and we leave it, then what next? And I know people battle with that, but I think it's a great opportunity for, for religious organizations, communities, uh, you know, and even individuals to, to think through that framework. Personally, I really like that as a framework, um, but for the most part, I think when dealing with religions, we, we, we're, we're dealing with things that are, that are seen as being so old and established and, and dare one say God ordained as those institutions, that, that it's a very hard thing for people to think of as something that they can let go of, that they have any form of permission to let go of, and, and even more difficult for them to think of as, as, as being something that the religion itself is a human product, less, less divine and more human, and that as a human product, it's got a shelf life in light of that there's a lot of questions that can emerge around whether what we're doing actually serves the purpose that it's intended for whether it's a institution that's got that's got a life of its own and is very parasitic on people <laughs> you know and it needs this influx of people and energy to keep itself going and, and of course has by now got a life of its own and so so i i find that it with me approaching this as a topic and holding it out there and i think i think like you i um, you know, the backdrop, the vanilla to our society as, as Western people, Western modern people, is, is, the, is the vanilla religious backdrop is that of Christianity. And then we've got the others, which end up being minorities. Um, and I, I tend to think of the challenge that is on the table as being equally relevant to all religions and all religious institutions in our environment. And... Um, and so in that sense, I think even though we have a conversation that sounds like it's more, more focused on Christianity per se, the same dynamics are often taking place in other religions. You know, I, you know the, the, the Christian that is raised to believe in a God that they don't experience and then go to church to behave and belong 
and believe in order to remain saved and in God's good books for the life to come is, is not an unfamiliar story to the Muslim that is raised to believe in Allah apart from experience and must believe and behave in order to belong, in order to be saved. And it's no different to the, to the, to the Hindu or the Buddhist or even the atheist that is raised in a similar environment often. You know, the, the point of departure for many people is, that, is, that, is, is, is the household and the worldview and the religion of the family or the religious outlook of the family. And, um, and so, you know, I, as, I, as I think about this and as I, as I wrestle with it, there, there's a way in which wrestling with it with a particular religion um, yields some nuances that are a peculiarity of that religion. But as a, as a whole process, I think the, the, the world that we're in and the challenge that we are facing is, is one that is equally relevant to all faiths in that sense. And that people are not only leaving Christianity as a religion in the way that they're leaving Christianity, they're also leaving their atheisms behind, their, um, you know, the Islams behind, the Buddhisms, the Hinduisms, et cetera, et cetera. Especially in this modern world where, where, where children commute on a daily basis between the religious households and religious services you know, within the orbit of the family to a secular environment and where they're, where they're educated and, and people share, people get together of lots of faiths, but the faiths aren't central, you know, to, to life. And there's no experience of it there and it's not expected to be relevant there in any way. And so in that process of going, I need to make up my own mind as I grow towards teenagehood and adulthood and then later on in life, you know, uh, people wrestle with the disparity between the belief versus the reality of what they experience versus what what's actually going on in the world and in their life you know so so overall this notion of of first and second order change and how it applies to religion and it's relevant to the to the process that people go into on an individual level you know there's 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 a there's a there's a there's almost like a ton of options there's a there's there's so many different trajectories this conversation could go on um you know I find that I've been trying to have the conversation at the level of going, let's talk about it in terms of the worldview of the institution, you know, trying to have the conversation with Christi Christians over, over many years. There's a lot of conversations that end up being quite exciting and quite encouraging where people feel like they're on the same page. And the page is to move from this institutionalism and this faith apart from experience to transition from that to the relational presence of God and being present to the God that becomes present to us. But for the most part, that just doesn't seem to fit with the faith. You know, and I, I think that the the way I don't think it's it's necessarily the way in which I've raised it. I think just the very notion of of making the change and moving away from the institution is very threatening to people who whose lifestyle and their calling the faith is bound up with the institutions of the faith and the institutions are their vehicle of that gives them permission to be the religious leader that they are and almost authenticates and validates them and at the same time becomes the only vehicle through which through which they see the faith actually existing and having a life and having relevance in the world those people battle to distinguish between them and i'm just listening to some of the terms that you use and thinking you know faith um, and organization are interchangeable in many ways. You know, I've, I've come to faith in you. So, well, faith in what? Because over time, we, we can actually discern what you're talking about is faith in, you know, they would have referred to, I mean, I remember Julian of Norwich referring to Mother Church. 
you know, in the, in the Catholic days. And it is, it is not so much uh, this, this relational experiential um, connection with this, this being that draws near to, to speak and act, as you say, but it is, you know, faith and organization are almost um, inextricably interlinked. Um, and, and asking people to, to investigate that within themselves, I find, I find it's very uncomfortable for people because there's almost a blind spot as if they cannot see, hang on, I've, I've gone from replacing an experience and something that was really meaningful and it impacted my life. And there's a transfer at some point to just, okay, well, you know, it's the custodian of that experience is this organization, this group of people, these religious leaders, et cetera, uh, you know, mediated by whatever the sacred text or the eldership or whatever it might be. Um, and it's uncomfortable for people to to look at that individually as well as you know the organization that you're talking about. Let's move away from an organization that that, that pushes against experience. Um, I wanted to ask you just to to share a little bit more in terms of your experiences with with people and their either their openness to this and and what barriers they find towards sort of running headlong into this idea uh, and your experience of them are sort of recoiling from that perhaps, um, or all of the above? Uh, uh, sure, I, I'd say all of the above and, and a bit more because the, I, I guess the point of departure for, for me often is, is, is trying to understand where, where people are at and the trajectory that they're on and, and helping identify the reality of whether they have or haven't experienced God and building on that and transitioning from the lack of experience to experience. And so, so that's, that, that's quite challenging. And I find, I find oddly enough that um, religious people, you know, like, uh, like the unmentionables that I, that I, that I <laughs> unmentioned in the, in the last podcast that come to the door, you know, that, that many religious people I find to, to, to actually be in that situation, you know, where, 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 where for them, they're comfortable with the notion of faith and the securities of the institution and the beliefs that they have, but they 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 they're almost there's an absence of experience. So, so I find with a lot of people, especially a lot of very theologically educated Christians who are part of the institution, I find I find they're very resistant to any of these conversations. So, so to start with them is is almost an easy option. They the group that that dislike me <laughs> and, and they really don't want me upsetting them and upsetting other people. And, um, and so those conversations tend to not go well because, because they want wanting to check to see that I believe as they believe and that I accept the things that they, that they accept and that my foundations are the same. There's a bit of a difference in the sense that I feel like for them, belief is primary and for me, experience is primary. I, I, I really feel like your beliefs are going to change throughout life anyway. When, when you say belief, you're talking about intellectual assent. Yes, yeah, and, and, and your ideas and the nuances. So, so for instance, what, one of the series that I run is is on on um, is called the Trinity Sessions, and and in that it's it's inviting people to talk about the experience of God. And and to, to to move away from talking about the abstract, what you should or ought or could believe about God, to go, who have I, what have I experienced? When I'm talking about God the Father, 
tell me about your experiences. So, so in that session, for instance, you talk about your experience of God the Father. In the session on Jesus, you talk about your experience of Jesus. And in the session of the Spirit, you talk about your experience of the Spirit. And what's interesting there is that I, I, I've, I've often seen a pattern come out where, where people have converted to the religion at some point, usually through a, a genuine or manipulated experience, right? They were either manipulated to give their life to Christ in one form or another, or they had a genuine experience that actually led them in. But following that up, they, they may have added an idea of God, and in this case, the, that, that Trinitarian God, you know, Father, Son, and Spirit. They've added ideas and theologies th that, that they've picked up or been educated in. But those ideas, in a way, tie to the experience, you know. And and, and so I've often observed that that um, that if I put a group of of ten people together to go through that, you'll find every heresy that Christians have been burned for and crucified for over the years coming out over that month period. But then, what's interesting as well is 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 I I, I get to observe that with those groups, people grow. They they genuinely transition from um, you know faith in a vacuum. To, to, to the beginnings of an experiential relationship with a someone that draws near, you know, and 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 I love that. But I, but I've often found that churches are very resistant to that idea. They they don't want to run the course. They don't want to pick it up. They they don't want to trust a group of people to talk about that experience and see what comes out. They would much rather turn those groups into groups where they would educate and they teach. But people don't have to experience; they don't have to make a transition. So, so I feel like that that's that's one that's one kind of one kind of group. I, I find that normally I, I'd 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 actually go nine and a half out of ten atheists that I speak to are not close to the to to leaving aside their belief against the idea of God that they have. Um, if they'll experience, if there's an opportunity for experience, they'll very willingly go. I'm open to an experience, and and I've I've often seen uh, people through a process of engaging God shift to embrace the language for it, but they're not being willing to adopt the religion for it. I really discourage them from adopting the religion for it anyway. You know, they they left it for a good reason. Um, they're not going to come back to it. You know, anyway, and they they don't need to. Whereas, whereas I do find that 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 largely there's this there, there's a disparity um, around this experience of God within Christianity, and I feel like it's systemically a part of of doing church and the way we do church. And I don't think it's a peculiarity of of, of Christianity per se. You know, if Buddhists get together to meditate, they're not experiencing the the, the sunyata, the dynamic self emptiness underlying everything. But they're talking about and they're agreeing as though they have, you know, um, Muslims that are getting together are not experiencing Allah, you know, only prophets who are special people can, and Muhammad was the last prophet. So, you know, sorry, like that ship has that ship has sailed, buddy. It's not going to happen. Now the Sufis are a different story, and and the mystics in general, or the, and the monastics. But you know, that's 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 different. We're talking about the the religion yet per se, and within Christianity, I find the same thing. I, I feel like people gather on a regular basis to worship God and there's a sense of the felt experience of God, but, but that's never really consummated for want of a better word. It's, it's, it's not like that, that ends in a face-to-face -face encounter in any way, usually. And, and, and within congregations, worship is seen as a preparation for, um, for the message, you know, and or often it's a preparation for the mini sermon on how to get more money 
um, <laughs> along the way to the message that you that you're paying for, you know, and that's 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 the culmination of it. And then you go and you have you have coffee, and so so I feel like I'm I'm torn between my my frustration of my frustration starts the absence of of any kind of real engagement and and we can talk about the the spirituality of how the symbols are wonderful and i can meditate within my own inner life and derive meaning from this and that kind of stuff but but to actually poke at this and go that's great but i don't just want you to take the picture book out or or, or your particular religious text and and point to these wonderful experiences that jesus and moses and others had tell me about when you experience God like that. And I find that that prodding and that poking is uncomfortable. So, so I, I've, I've more recently had some people come back at me and go, well, maybe it's only those that, that really needed saving like you that, that really feel like they need to have this. But for the 99% of the rest of us, we don't need to have that. And, and I find that there's a, there's a barrier there. there. There's a strong resistance. Um, I do find that many people who would classify themselves as spiritual but not religious is more the language today. Twenty years ago, it was was more new age and open to new age ideas. You know, there there there's trends, and 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 in our day and age, the the rise of the nuns, the N O N E S, the people who say I have no religion, I don't subscribe to religion, but that doesn't mean that I'm not open to the reality of spirituality, mysticism, God, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that that people along those lines are often quite open, but people that are committed to their religions, I, I find they've they've they so intertwine the religious establishment that they're a part of with this that they're not willing to um, that, that it's almost like they feel personally threatened and they feel like because because I don't buy into those institutions and I don't want to promote them, I don't want to plant a church, I don't want to run a church, that that gets used as a bit of a template to go, therefore, we can write you off or you've got nothing to offer or who are you, little shit, to criticize us, you know? <laughs> you know. So I'm not sure if that answers your your your, your question or if you want to poke me in a, in a different direction as well. No, no, no. It, it definitely does. I'm, I'm just thinking as I listen to you, um, one or two follow-up questions, um, which, which I'll come to in a minute. The, the first thought that comes to me as I listen to you speak is just how, how important I think the individual self-concept is and how that is tied into um, adherence to a particular religion um, or the belonging factor. Um, and the the self identity that is provided in that, um, and I and I think that's part of the reason why there's such a huge fear factor involved in in being willing to let go of that. Because in in many ways, it's not just letting go of a system; it's letting go of a system that has nourished who I am. It's it's provided me with my sense of self, and so in many ways, I actually have to let go of myself. And perhaps, perhaps we can come to that. But I thought it might be helpful, just as I listened to you, to pause for five minutes. Um, and for, the, for people who might either be hearing some of the, the terminology or words that, that you were using in the last, the last while, just to quickly pay a little bit of attention to what you mean or what, what we mean when we're talking about the idea of sort of adherence to a religion over experience, uh, the person who draws near. Because... In some of my experience, I, th I think there's, there's people that I would argue with that might be listening to what we're talking about and going, but, but that's exactly what we're doing in church. You know, there's that language where we're taking Jesus seriously. That's why we, you know, have 
have pauses between songs where people can access the divine, et cetera, et cetera, whatever the language is. But that's not really what we're talking about because I think that would be within that, that first order system still and, and hasn't given way to the second. So I don't know if you want to just clarify or just, just take us into a couple of the pointers that you're using there uh, around the framework. Possibly the easiest way to do it is, is by way of, of, of an analogy of people getting together to meet with each other. You know, so so if you if you picture getting together, <clears throat> so so Steve, just to to answer that as a question, you know, I, I like to put it into into very relational terms. So you know, um, you know, listening to the last two podcasts, there there are these analogies that are that are bring out like the game drive, <laughs> you know, and going to the Kruger versus the ocean and what you can see there and that kind of stuff. And, and in this context, I, I like to think of 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 a group of friends getting together at a coffee shop, you know, or or a pub, you know, like you and I, we we set a meeting, we both arrived at, at a meeting, you know, um, but but picture a group of friends and there's someone that's important, so it's someone's birthday and you want to get together with a special occasion of celebrating with them, and they don't pitch, you know, you you can you can still have a jolly good time as a group of people without them, and you can talk about them and reminisce and share the stories you know, and, and honor them by being there. But, but if they didn't arrive, the dynamics are quite different to if they did arrive, in which case you can still celebrate them and do all of that kind of stuff. But there's a difference in the meeting when you're also meeting with them one-on-one -on -one or interacting with them as a group. And, and I like to think of those kind of relational transactions as, as being foundational to it, you know. And, um, and so, so one of the things that I've I've, I've done and and um, we'll do a session on in the future is is just on those relational transactions and how they take place, you know, and in religious services, and the question is who's being active and who's being receptive, and I think for the most part, just to possibly preempt that, but I I would think it's a valuable episode in future to 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 listen to anyway, is that when people get together to worship in a church, you've got people in the stage leading worship and people in the congregation being led and participating. Their experience is completely internalized, right? And so how do I separate between my relationship with the idea of God and the aesthetic thereof and my idea and my relationship with God as a person who's interactive? And for the most part, we can't, we can't distinguish between the two there and people would go, oh, it's unfair because, you know, private experience and then when you transition to things like like the message you've got one person um understood to have heard from god but generally they've read the bible and they've just prepared a message so so the dialogue is between them and a text in the inner world it's not necessarily a meeting with a <clears throat> with a specific someone and i feel like when people are sitting in those kind of congregations and whether it's a facilitated meditation regarded meditation or whatever, or, or someone preaching, the value, <clears throat> sorry, the value in that that you derive from it is, is completely internalized. So although it's an educating about, it's not a meeting with. And I think, I think for me, that's the, that's the fundamental takeaway that I've got from, you know, the audacity just to assess religious gatherings and the dynamics that take place there, you know. Um, so so when, I, when I think about experience, in relation to the transcendent, um, it's slightly different in each case because the internal self as the mirror differs the internal self as the vista onto, you know, nothingness and that aligned unity 
of all things, and it differs to the to to the meeting place wherein God draws near. You know, so so as a broad topic, it's it's there's there's a lot that one could go into in various trajectories, but but sticking within the the the, the Christian framework of the personal God and the interaction of the personal God, um, I, I find that for the most part, people are expected to believe in God by faith. And then how do you know that God is real? Well, I see God by faith. So when I listen to the sermon, I hear the word of God. Okay. Uh, when I take communion, I receive the body of Christ. Okay. What's the difference between you and someone who doesn't see that God's real? You're both having the same fundamental, you're both fundamentally doing the same thing, right? And yet you can stand together and go, no, I don't see it. Another person goes, oh, I do see it. And I think in some ways it's like, you know, there's a there's a transition. There's a researcher called Ann Taves who 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 speaks about how experience plays a pivotal role within religions during the periods of formation, and then when they when things get shaken up, then experience is important. But at the point that people transition from the communities, you know, from the emerging community that's really engaging God to being the established community, they actually transition away from experience and they transition towards the second order things of teaching about and, and worshiping. But there's a fundamental difference between the two, you know. Um, and I think within Christian history, the, the, the history of the renewals and the revivals is an example of that. And, um, you know, one of the movements that I, I've been highly critical of, and I'm at liberty to because I've been with them or, you know, I had been with them for a long time is, is, is the vineyard movement, you know, and, you know, so even two years ago, the outgoing retiring head of the vineyard, the, the, the head of the vineyard from the UK or new, new wine from the UK and the vineyard in the United States were all out and they're all going on about how it's all about the church. It's all about the church. Everything begins and ends in the church. We must make church planting our, our, our priority, et cetera, et cetera. And, and there the language of, of the church as the, as the institution, as what we do when we do church, as in these buildings and organizations with their staff and the congregations that attend, is actually what they have in mind. And that that's primary, and that is actually what they're about. Whereas, whereas 20 years ago, what I loved about the vineyard um, was, was, the, was primarily the worship and the sense of intimacy and freedom in engaging God. But, but that the notion that the primary reason that people were getting there was for that God to be there in person and to engage God. Whereas you fast forward till now, um, and it's it's like walking into a Pentecostal church in many environments. The language is the same, the cues are the same, but people don't use church as an excuse to engage God. They go to church and then ministry time is for those that need it at the end and those that want to participate. It's actually not the main focus. It's attack on at the end. You know, and so and so in most cases, when you actually model it, you know, I, I like starting from the practicality of going, what do people do? Because that's actually what they're about. And Christianity says it's a religion that's all about a relationship with God. And 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 yet if you tell people that you experience God, they they're gonna they're gonna look at you squiff. You know, they're gonna they're gonna mistrust you. How do you know you're really experiencing God? Does it match up to this Bible thing? You know, and I go, yeah, well, did God tell me to cook food over human excrement? No, so it doesn't match up. And they get genuinely upset by that kind of stuff. So, 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 and I I, I use that as an obnoxious example, but but it's not just the obnoxious example. It's 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 I feel like. As a as a text and as a as as the early history of the faith, you know, um, 
it was about the relational presence of God, but then it transitioned to be one institution that was labeled the church. And so the, the notion of the church that Christ makes that consists of people is, is completely that identity is taken and placed on this institution, this legal institution, this fictional person that forevermore, you can never speak of what is this church of, that Christ makes you know, apart from this institution. And yet that's only one of the two institutions that early Christianity actually established. And it's the one that is, that's geopolitical and ethnic. It's not the one that is actually focused on the, the interior life and the interior engagement with God and therewith one's life in society. You know, I, I've possibly just introduced more <laughs> than clarified. <laughs> <laughs> No, but if, if I if I just bring us back to where you started, um, which which I would you know look at the, the kind of the tree of where you went with it is kind of the taproot and everything just flows out from that so beautifully. But what I really love is that analogy of this kind of coffee date amongst friends, and what came to mind as you were talking about that was the idea of, you know, it might not be the same six friends over the years over time, you know, there'll be a few more people invited to Roger's birthday party. And the question might be, you know, when do we get to meet Roger? It made me think of, you know, the, the, the early scenes of um, the early sort of six, seven, eight chapters of The Great Gatsby. And there's this fictitious figure at this party, but nobody really, who is he? Um, and finally, one of the main characters comes across him and it's not entirely sure if it's, if it's him, if I remember correctly. Um, and so, you know, you can go and you can eat Roger's birthday cake. And you're all saying happy birthday, happy birthday to Roger. But where is Roger actually? And so it's this weird farcical continuance of a party for somebody who's no longer there in honor of somebody who's no longer there. Um, and, and it made me think about, um, you know, we, we, we were speaking a little bit of, uh, yesterday about Moses uh, and kind of the picture that I see, if, if you look at the, the text of Moses's experiences, the sort of the early on experiences of God, the burning bush and then the mountain, and how, how little text, actual text there is for that in juxtaposition or comparison to the length and breadth of detail that goes into the establishment of the tabernacle. And, and then something else that struck me as I was listening to you now was was this, this glimpse you get of people almost in awe, and I would say almost in fear, I think, of Moses and this experience that he's having. As if it's, it's really, it's not for me. You know, that struck me when you said earlier, the, you know, the, the greatest prophet has come, Muhammad, and, and that's it, and, and sorry for you. It was almost a similar flavor as, as if people were walking past the tent and going, what is he doing there? <laughs> Yeah, and, and what's what's the peculiarity of of, of Moses? And I, and I like that you that you um, that you reference that there because there's so much in his experience that that I that I draw on for myself in, in terms of of how he prioritized it. And so so part of the the, the negotiation of you going to be my ambassador? No, I'm not. <laughs> oh, by the way, you are. Part of that is is the notion that that every everyone that is freed as slaves is going to come to this mountain and they're going to meet with me. 
And at the point that they get there, they say to Moses, hang on, we thought about this. <laughs> We're not actually comfortable with this experience anymore. Why don't you go on our behalf? And, and in that sense, the, the notion of the tabernacle and the temple becomes a stopgap in between. I think it's a, it's a second order rescue botch plan to the primary order of going, the primary intention of going, I want everyone to know me face-to-face like Moses does. And, and, and so, so there's this theme of God drawing near and people either pulling away or drawing close in response that goes back to Adam and Eve throughout that Old Testament text. And, and that's, that's, a, that, that's a whole angle to, to explore at a future date. But I, but I feel like it's exactly that. You know, I, I, I go to the place where I was extremely frustrated within the context of church and doing ministry and actually took a 10-year break with the intention of never coming back as, as my deconstruction. And, and at the point that I, that I got to that at about 2006, I, I hit the point that I said, I'm so frustrated. If I put 20 people that have been Christian for 20 years in a room together and, 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 I, and, and I say, let's open a discussion on our experience of God, they will, they will basically, and, and I put, and, and I go, I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's a bold claim to make, but I, I've had a sliver of experience like Moses had of God being present and, and going, you know, I want more of this. And basically going as a group, how do we get more of this? I've, I've generally found that those 20 Christians that have been Christian for 20 years will basically go, we're not comfortable with what you're saying. We don't trust this. We don't want this because we don't trust experience and, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And how do you really know it's God as opposed to something else, <laughs> you know? Um, and they'll basically go, God speaks to us in all of these roundabout ways, like the Bible and my experiences. And, you know, you know, did, I, did a black cat walk across my path or not, you know, et cetera, et cetera. God speaks to me in all these roundabout ways, but not face to face. And I'm comfortable with that. I'm not comfortable with, with what you got. But if I took 20 people that are not religious and I told them about some of my experiences, they're all signing up for it and they all want it. And I feel like there's that, there is that odd juxtaposition. And, and then layered on top of that is a, is a very frustrating experience as someone who's been in and out of ministry for my, for my professional life, you know. Um, you know, and, and the, the frustration is primarily around this, that, that, I, I genuinely believe that this needs to be central and and that I'm told that no <laughs> we want to do church <laughs> you know that's that's what we are for and if you take a look at people who do start out with an ex- early experience of God and God saying follow me and you know etc cetera, etc cetera, and then they go oh I've got uh, I'm called to ministry they they're trained and they're prepared to plant churches work in churches grow churches maintain churches and it, it's about doing church. They, they're not prepared in any way around this notion of the reality of God's presence. And, 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 and how do you tell when God is and is not there? That language isn't there. No, God is always there. Why? Because the Bible says, if two or three believe in my name. You know, God is always there. Well, how do you know? Well, I believe it on the basis of faith. You know, <laughs> you know and, and I think there the, the great Gatsby thing, and I, I, I would need to look this up, but I, if, I, if I recall correctly, it's not just an urban myth, but there is, there is actually a scientific study around monkeys being put in a cage, five monkeys being put in a cage and they've got to reach and there's a there's bananas in the center. And when they go for it, they get sprayed. And all five of them just get sprayed and they don't get to reach the banana. And then what they'll do is they'll swap a monkey out. So now you have four monkeys that have been sprayed and one that hasn't. 
And the minute the monkey that hasn't goes to the banana, the others will all stop them from going for it. Mm, they turn on him. And then they'll swap out another monkey. Yeah. And then basically you'll swap it out. And then you end up with generations of monkeys that don't allow the new ones to go for the banana. But none of them have been sprayed. And in some ways, I feel like religious authorities and institutions become like that. It starts off about the relational engagement and the, and the genuine experience. Then it transitions into this religious institution. And then you really struggle to go back to the experience. You know, and if you think of how you know, guys like Wesley were fired before they got going <laughs> and then led this massive renewal. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, you know, um, uh, Charles Finney, all of those kind of stuff, you know. Um, uh, yeah, you know, they, they had that. They they also pushed for the relational presence of God and the pushback was to fire them off and to kick them out, you know, um, and huge uproar. And so, so in history, I feel like when we take this as an angle, I don't see this institution history of the church as being this wonderful thing that is renewed by God. I see it as an institution that is terribly upset that God disrupts what they're doing when God does big things in history, you know, and, and for the most part, I'm, I'm left looking at institution. I just go like, yeah, like this thing is just, it, it's so failed. It is so blown its witness, you know, and, and I'm not just, you know, and, and it's easy to talk about the, you know, those guys that are saying, send us your stimulus checks in the US and, you know, you have to tithe, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and we want your money. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's easy to pick on the outliers. Yeah, I think the fault is actually systemic. And, and, and that's where, where I feel like, like a lot of the, the vineyard guys, for instance, that I, I could use them because I've had the personal conversation and the fights with them over them going, we've done well and this church is such an anomaly. And I go, I'm not happy with the anomaly. Like, yes, they've done well. But in five years' time after you retire, they're going to be back to what where they came from. You know, that kind of stuff. Like, like the institution has got this, 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 it's it's a machinery. It's a it's a paradigm. And it just grinds everyone like those monkeys back into their place. And and together with that, it domesticates the idea of God. And so I, I feel like the transition is from relating to God as 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 a as a person and all the problems that go together with that to to the this the the cleanliness and the squeaky cleanness of the of the morality and the intellectualism and the and the and the religious stomachness and all of that kind of stuff that goes on you know but but god's not present you know and people aren't real and they're they're dying inside but you know it's 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 like it's like if they come to church and they make friends within the first six weeks they're going to stay Cool, you know, or, or like my experience of, uh, of 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 Hillsong in Cape Town, where they go, our goal is to give everyone the best experience of church ever. That's really what we are for. And I'm going, have you read this book? <laughs> you know, all, all I'm seeing is the is is the ungodly union of capitalism <laughs> and, and and greed. And the, <laughs> anyway, yeah, and and that's such a it's such a very good point because. Um, I was thinking, I mean, we, we're sort of naturally moving towards the idea of, of what is this fear factor that drives us into this safety, this comfort zone of what is easily handleable, what is easily controllable, um, what, do we, what can we manage well? And that, that, I, that is that Hillsong idea, that, although I don't know them, so I'm piggybacking on your experience and your statement now. But the idea of just providing the best church experience is actually so incredibly safe because so many of those variables are, are within your control. 
And if they're not, they're, they're very reachable because you just need a couple of really great staff development sessions, some really hard staff meetings, and you're back on track. You know, the worship team have had their butts kicked and told, you know, don't play off key again. And, you know, you better come in fired up on a Sunday morning. Um, you know, don't let us down and you better prepare well and your message wasn't as inspirational as it should have been, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, but there's definitely this default back. The organization wants to, to retreat back into this homeostasis of control as opposed to these interruptions, these disruptions. Um, you know, we were, we were talking about that just last night, the idea of it's really awkward to have a burning bush in your sanctuary because it tends to drop ash on the carpet. It's just not controllable. I, I loved your analogies. I loved the God spotting game drive and the idea of also, you know, the shark diving. Just those two, the idea of uh, are you face-to-face -face with a lion or a shark? Or have you taken them and domesticated them to some extent? You've put them in a cage. You've made it safe. Um, and, and I think the human individual, and I know I struggle with that as well, and when we get together in groups, we spur each other on, um, really battles with the fear of this unknown and this uncontrollable entity, um, this, this bush that burns but does not burn up, which is, is one of the weirdest mystical statements I've come across so far. But, but, but because it defies your ability to describe it. You know, how do you describe something that in all of your science should be burning up and yet isn't? That is so far beyond our rational sense of self and our control and must be what it is. You, you can't change that. You know, and I think Lewis says that in his Narnia series, talking about Aslan the lion. You know, he's, a, he's, a, he's a kind lion or something like that, but he's not a tame lion. Yeah, he's, he's dangerous. He's, he's good, but dangerous, yeah. But I think that's where the machine works so hard to provide our comfort zone. Um, and in many ways, so we don't have to go up the mountain ourselves. So we'll, you know, we'll bring the mountain to Muhammad, as the phrase goes. Um, and, and then we can just create these mountaintop experiences whenever we feel like. It reminds me a little bit of the Wizard of Oz and the idea of at the end of this journey, there isn't actually this force that's at, at work. It's just this funny little man behind the curtains um, and reminds me also of, of Pete Rollins's idea of when the, the temple curtain is torn. And it's not so much that that provides access to God as it reveals God is not behind the curtain. There isn't anything behind the curtain. Um, and I think that's what the machine wants to create is the sense of, no, we've got him in here. And you've got to come here for access to him. And I know you've said that a few times as well. But the scary reality is he's not that controllable. I, I, feel, I feel exactly like that. I think, I think when one sufficiently deconstructs Christianity, it doesn't reveal the God that is. It just reveals that Christianity doesn't rest on God. It shows what God is not. And so in that sense, I, I, I have one of these, these difficult philosophical statements where I go, Everything that Christianity is is precisely what it's not, you know. And 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 I, I know people struggle with that, especially Christians that are very committed to it, because they go, "Oh my goodness, do you really 
believe do you, you know what is it you actually experience and it's easy it's safe for them to go you make us uncomfortable therefore we're going to push you away but I, but i think in fairness as well you know there's there, there is so much abuse and so much performance you know if you if you think of the fake healing ministries and the fake prophetic and the pushing over and the you know all the who around the, the great man of God in his $8,000 crocodile shoes and shit like that. You know, there's, <laughs> there's, there's a lot that we do want to avoid, but I, I feel like most people that are in, in ministry and in church and part of the institu- institution that way are caught between how the institution does legitimize them. You know, they have their marriage licenses and they can conduct funerals and, you know, and they, they have their, 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 their collars and suits and they have their, you know, et cetera, et cetera. They've got their, their, their titles, you know, I'm pastor so-and-so or, you know, although these days, if someone says that to me, I just substituted with Pharisee. So, <laughs> <laughs> or tell them, yeah, you know, it's <laughs> it upsets them a lot. Um, but but I think I think in many ways, it's exactly that fallback that you that you say. You know, it's it's like I, I I've taken to saying. Christ calls people to ministry and then they respond and say, thanks very much. We'll take it from you. We'll take it from you. You know, he goes, I want you to share this journey with me. And they go, no, thanks. We got it. <laughs> you know, we don't really need you. Um, you know, the, the other thing that you touched on as well was that, uh, that study by Teichert and Bulger on, on a cry for intimacy with God. I, I think, I mean, I mean, very personally from my side, just a couple of really sad experiences and not once off, you know, some, some repeat experiences with some people in my life where they've reached the point of, I suppose it's almost confessing that they're in that space. They're either integral to a faith community of some sort or are, you know, the chief cook and bottle washer. They're leading this thing, but they have lost complete touch with this being that they are continually putting forward. And somebody said to me a while back, um, which I just wept internally um, because it's it's just so sad, although it it can be so easily judged. But I think when you understand where it's coming from, you, you won't judge so easily. When a minister says to you, I'm not certain I would even continue going to church if they weren't paying me to do that. And that was in the context of these deep, heartfelt cries of, where is this being? Where is God? Um, and, and so that study, you know, that, that you bring up of, um, I, you rattled off some of the figures. 400 churches, something like 389 or, or whatever it was, or 330, something like that, yeah. And, and the leaders that had responded, yeah. Yeah, and it was a, what, a two-thirds response, I think, of leadership saying, they had lost the sense of intimacy with God, which is, which is so strange for me because this, this sacred text, this book drips with these ideas of intimacy with God um, or d- definitely experience, definitely experience. You know, Abra- Abraham did not retreat into his tent and check his book to make sure that it was Yahweh that had spoken to him and not something else. <laughs> yeah, <You know>? exactly. <laughs> he, he, just, he relinquished himself into that experience, and that experience was, was incredibly formational, you know, as the story goes, over his life. Um, and, and these are current-day people saying, you know, essentially when you dig down to it, kind of what we're selling is this is the deal 
you get to have this personal relationship with this thing. But the entire system, you know, as we've been saying, is built around actually disconnecting you from that, other than perhaps the taste to get you in. Uh, and, and I think at its worst, sometimes I'm convinced it's a deliberate bait and switch. There's, there's just enough of the sweet smelling ointment out there that will bring you in. And after that, you are then locked into the dogma of the particular brand. Um, but, but as you said earlier, you know, people are dying inside in the need of this, this, this vital relational experience. Um, and I think of it even through the, the, the biblical metaphors of knowing and knowledge. Um, and some of that is, I think, definitely head knowledge, but some of it is definitively speaking to, in the Hebrew, the sexual idiom between man and woman. And it is deeply relational. It's personal, experiential. Um, you can read all the books you want. <laughs> You'll be judged for it. But the whole idea is that at the end of the day, you actually want to experience that with your significant other. Um, and I think that's why that's such a powerful image. Uh, the idea of not just I assent to a set of beliefs or set of ideas intellectually or rationally, but um, you know, Paul says it: you are, you will be known, you will know as you are known. Um, and the great Harvard professor Parker J. Palmer wrote a phenomenal book of that title: uh, "To Know as I Am Known." And the idea of mutual disclosure in relationship, mutual revelation, um, and that is highly experiential and relational. But it's not safe, and I think we come back to that idea of it's it's easier to retreat into. I'll just build a framework, um, and and that can house this thing, and it can't. And I and I think that's one of the great um, aha moments that people come to across the religions, of going, this thing doesn't contain what it said it would. If I if I listen carefully to what it says about itself, it doesn't house this anymore, uh, and so I'm going to leave. And then unfortunately, they they're branded as all sorts of things when in fact. I think they are being drawn out into something rather than fleeing. Uh, and they're not crossing the floor, you know, uh, across from religion to science. Uh, it's, not, it's not that simple. Or, or from religion to religion, yeah. They're moving into a desert of unknowing and, and there's, a, there's a genuine seeking for this, this thing, uh, this being. Yeah, I know within within my own orbit of of church leaders that I speak to that that there's often there's there's the person that comes to me in the private, <laughs> you know, that 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 basically has these genuine conversations about what's 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 missing relationally and experientially, and yet in that staff meeting or in that meeting, you know, they're 100% on board and everything's fine, you know, and I find there's there's there is a respect to that they have to play the role but i i enjoy those more real conversations i just wish that they could have them inside you know that institution that space as well and where communities could actually journey forward with that you know in, in my own life i you know in 2006 i stopped doing any form of church and ministry because i didn't know how you replaced what we do when we do church with 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 the alternative and i, and I find even till today you know i'm 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 judged for not doing that. You know, the, the number one criticism, you know, like, like, like people often say, we love what we say, what you're saying. We just don't see how it will work. We don't see how we can, we can do church and, and make this work. So we're going to stick with what we're doing because this is tried and trusted and 
and comfortable and established. You know, and people basically going, well, you you haven't planted and run a thousand seated church, so you've got nothing to offer. You, you did criticize us, you know, and and yet and yet when I when I raise things and I I, I depersonalize it because I don't only work with my with my own felt sense of the people that I that I talk to, you know, I'm also have a bit of an academic bent in research stuff. And I've, I've been very disparaged for that recently where, where, where is this response is going, are you just an academic? This is just an academic thing for you. Therefore, therefore you've got nothing to offer. Like, who do you think you are? And I go, no, there's this genuine trend of people leaving religions like Christianity because they actually want to genuinely pursue God and they can't do it with them. And the response is basically going, no, those are a few jaded individuals perhaps with unfulfilled aspirations, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's not actually a big thing. And yet, and yet it is a big thing. You know, people are deconverting in mass from, from the religions, you know, um, and, and, and it's growing. I, I think almost so that the, that those deconverting are not even necessarily converting to atheism per se when doing so. So they're not converting from the belief for something that they don't experience to the belief against something that you don't experience. You know, in in that in that typical believer to non-believer, believer to atheist kind of divide, they're actually just going, I'm I'm deconverting from this institution and everything that goes with it, because I'd rather give all of this up and risk the opportunity to discover what's real than stay within it and be prohibited from ever getting there. And I think that is a that is a wonderful journey of people actually beginning to recognize that the world isn't moving from religious to secular. It's actually moving away from religion towards a genuine, like, like spirituality and mysticism, and it's recapturing that, you know. Um, and that's that's a whole other fascinating topic to explore, you know, of, of secularization and resacralization. You know, and I think for, I think for another time. But but this has certainly been a, a you know a big part of the conversations that 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 I've had, and and I feel like churches are are basically going. In terms of first order change, we need to change our aesthetics, you know, move the piano, change the makeup of our worship team, different coffee. Our, our preaching style, definitely improve the coffee, <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe start delivering sermons online, especially during the pandemic, and we can move to online church, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and yes, you can do that. Why can you do that? Because you're dealing in religious goods and services. Whereas the reality of the who had what you experience and and talking about that is is actually not part of it, you know. Um, I, I've observed a a peculiarity with with something called the Alpha Course over the years. Um, you know, I I I was amongst the first to be the speaker at a one in in South Africa. My my late friend Rich Mabry was like, "We're going to do Alpha, and you're going to be the speaker," and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> so I started, and and it's just it's it's a bit of an apologetic course because the speaker basically covers the misconceptions around Christianity. And then the small groups, people actually just have genuine conversations and build real relationships. But the culmination is the weekend where you go away and you invite God to draw near in person to speak and act. You see what God wants to do and people experience that. And they come back going, we, we've experienced God, whether we've been Christian for 20 years or 30 years or 40 years, we've only now first experienced God. Or, or people who go, I don't buy into this going, shit, I've experienced God, now what? You know, And, and that's, that's fruitful conversation. And yet there's so many churches, like there's a big church down the road that, that got a large part of their, their massive congregation through running things like Alpha Courses. And of course, the new minister comes in and he goes, I'm not comfortable with this Holy Spirit nonsense. 
um, you know, let's let's shut this down. So can we still run alpha, but maybe cut out this weekend away Holy Spirit stuff? You know? and, <laughs> yes. and and that's one dynamic just from the institutional side and the staff side. But then from the congregational side, I find people they don't have people work very easy within language which they're comfortable with. And so they'll they they often go, we want more of this. We want more of this experience of God. And the response from the institution, and I think it's universal in the sense of of the renewals going back since the foundation of, of Protestantism, the, the, the response is, we don't do that. We don't trust experience. We don't pursue experience. We don't prioritize it, et cetera, et cetera. What we do when we do church is this. If God's going to do that, that's on your time. If you want that, do it in your time, but we don't do this here. We want to give you the certainties of faith, and that means us preaching to you and teaching. You know, and I, I, feel, like, I feel like we've actually got a systemic problem, that it doesn't matter if God pitched up in, in all of his or her naked glory, you know, on the planet and danced around for a while and disappeared. We, we, we'd very quickly, two days later, probably just go back to doing church as usual. Why? Because, they, you know, that's what the monkeys have been. Or possibly have some people interrupting him or her to say, please, can you just show me in your book where it says it's all right for you to do that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you know, something I've 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 observed as well when experimenting with this is is that I find that often I can have very genuine one-on-one conversations with people, and perhaps one on three even. But the minute there's more than five people in a group, they are so trained in the practice of getting together and then the leader's going to cue everything and teach, you know, that they default to that. And and then it just and if I refuse to do that, then everyone has a bum experience, you know, <laughs> and I just don't want to do that. Yeah. It's, it's been so strange for me. I was, I was thinking about that when you said that, that, you know, in, in those contexts, those, those contexts, those religious contexts, I've witnessed even, I mean, highly successful CEOs and business people sort of meekly sitting on a couch <laughs> waiting for somebody who's barely got a, a theology diploma to hold forth and teach them about the great wonders of life. Uh, and, and it is such a, it's almost an oppressive uh, system that, that even somebody of that great agency and ability will meekly fold into that submissive state of, okay, well, take over and, and tell me about my life. Uh, and you'll see them the next day in the boardroom holding forth, you know, uh, and holding their own. Um, and, and that's, that's such a, that's such a weird experience. Um, you just see the power of those spaces. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like <laughs> the immediate thing that comes to mind is the repeat after me thing that they do. That just makes me want to get up and slap <laughs> them. You know, like, like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the magic beans of the Jesus prayer. Yeah. So it, it made me want to ask you the question. Uh, for example, I'll have conversations with people sometimes about capitalism, for example, and we'll, we'll raise a couple of questions. And very quickly, the, uh, the comments that comes back, or actually the stab that comes back, is like, well, then what's your idea, smartass? Like, what can you put on the table that's better? And I see it for what it is. I, I know it's, a, it's, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a self-protective attack. Uh, or it's a defense mechanism, rather. Um, and I think that that's probably worth us spending a bit of time on at this point in terms of um, it's worthwhile hearing that voice that says, yes, it's easy to critique, and absolutely it is. 
Um, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't critique. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't spot the holes. Um, but it's also worthwhile taking a short stab at what are the alternatives then? And I'd love to just hear your experience. Uh, you talk about smaller groups with three, four, five people, et cetera. Um, and in my mind, I see you holding that up against the large group meeting of 1,000 or 500 or 100 or whatever. What are your thoughts in terms of experience around what are our alternatives if we're going to dismantle the system? I think it's a, it's a really good question. And my short answer is I have no idea. I feel like I climbed the mountain expecting the view and I looked down and it's a cloudy day. <laughs> and I've transitioned from seeing the bottom of the clouds to seeing the top of the clouds. <laughs> so that's, that's the short answer. I think that's your that's, passbook towards having a stab at anything else. It's a good starting. Uh, yes. It's a good starting point. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like I could take a stone and I can throw it off in any direction, and that's valid because I'm at least I'm at least above the clouds, you know, with all the arrogance and obnoxiousness that can go together with that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, I'm just commenting on the stance of I don't know. I think it's it's a good start. But but I think in practice, I I feel like like the the problem is largely one of modelling, you know. We need to model. We need to transition from from a talk to teach model to facilitate to engage, and that's there's a fundamental difference between the two. Because where you can live stream um, uh, your face in all its glory in your suits to your congregations around the world, <laughs> you know it, it's 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 great. From the point of view of going, it's one hour of your time to so many participants and you're making so much good money out of it, right? Or your organization is, or God is, because God needs money, right? Yeah, he's, he's strapped. <laughs> <laughs> A total side. I, I love uh, the late Terry Pratchett's books oh, and, yes. and he's got uh, the notion of the Yen Buddhists who believe that money is the source of all evil <laughs> and that the way they go about saving the world is by amassing all the wealth to save people for money. <laughs> There's a substrata that's a, that's of churches, I think, that operate on that. But anyway, <laughs> very, very much so. And, and so, so I think, I think for me, a lot of it goes into those those relational um, and transactional dynamics, and and and, and modeling something anew and afresh, and starting from the ground up. You know, so so the vineyards long had this language of values, priorities, and practices. But I think when I work back from their, their, their practices to their priorities to their values, there's a disconnect these days. And we need to recognize that with every movement. And, you know, I, I know there's always those lone examples, but the lone example is not the norm. You know, your shining example of going, this is what it's about, that, that odd saint in history, the odd church today. Um, that you that you hold is going. This is our flagship. This is our model. This we want everything to be like this. And then you go, yeah, but ninety five percent is not that. So clearly something's not working. Something didn't work because of what you're doing. Something has worked here despite what you're doing. So so let's let's get away from what we're doing and just just start at the foundation again. And so I, I feel like I've 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 rebooted because my window has always been, you know, must plant churches there. Eh? And if you're not planting churches, you must be planting small groups because this is what we do, you know. And and, and I've done I've done a lot of that, um, but but I feel like I've I've given that up to begin with focusing on the individual. And and I wrote a blog post about it where uh, where there is actually a third option, 
you know, there's either the mystic is the individual that goes, I'm out of here and I'm going to go sit on the mountain <laughs> and look down on the clouds, <laughs> you know, or, or the person that's going, you know, I'm gung-ho, I'm planting these churches, I'm making this institution, and man, if I can make that six, 10, 20,000 seats, I'm, I'm on fire, I'm, I'm the business, you know. Um, and, and those are the two options that we presented with, you know, like, like either you're the rookie individual who should just shut up and get out of here, or, or over-spiritualize that, or the person that's got to buy into this institution and do this. And if you're not with us, get, you know, if you're not on the bus, get off the bus. This is where the bus is going. You know, that's the language that's used. And, I, and I've very willingly gone, I'm sorry, that's, I'm not on that bus, and I don't need to be. And so I've, I've adopted more the language of living and loving deeply, and living in the village, and living amongst the people, and just being me. And and starting from the felt experience of just of just living, and I think we often have this this group thing, and the group works, but the the individual and the relational connection with God doesn't, and we just keep doing the group thing, hoping that this is going to happen, and 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 trying to make it happen, and, and I I want to take it from the other direction, and that is that is not be like the monkey, with a hand in the cookie jar, not being able to let go of the cookie. Right, because I've got the cookie, right? <laughs> you know, um, but being willing to let that go and go, um, it's very important that my other hand finds what it's looking for. And and so I feel like I've taken a step back, and I realize that this is going on, and it's it's possibly a good time to to wrap up around this. Is is just to get to the notion of going, what is that first felt experience, and recognizing that that the the, the believer in the religious person who relates to the idea of God, experiences the silence and absence of God. Why? Because God is a fiction and an idea that cannot talk back. And if you do hear the voice of God, it sounds like your own because it is your own. And it looks like, <laughs> you know, whichever version of the happy Jesus you've got, because that is the version you've created, right? Um, but there's a sense of the silence and the absence and I only experience a still small voice within when I when I meditate or I contemplate, right? Whereas whereas there's there's also the sense of of the person who goes, What's awoken me to there being more to this life is I had a dream, or I was in a situation and I felt a presence, or I was in a situation and a voice spoke to me and I listened and my life took a different route, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so there that person is also living with the silence and absence of God, but it's a silence and absence is a trough created by the presence that has been there that is now absent, by the voice that has spoken that has now fallen silence, you know, by the, the, the touch and the push, you know, that, 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 that is no longer there, but you've, you've been moved, you know, and now just going, I, I have a reference point. I know what the, that what that is, and I know that it is not here. And I feel like like what I've done, and, and I feel like that this is the alternative for now, and I'm happy to give myself the risk of pursuing this, even if it takes me the rest of my life and I accomplish nothing. And, and I say that with a, with a jaded laugh with myself of going, oh shit, I might not accomplish anything. I might not actually build anything. I may never be successful along these lines, but but I want to maximize that dynamic, that dynamic recognition of is God present and am I responding or is God not? You know, is God speaking and am I, am I listening or is God not? You know, and, you know, if, if I think of the dynamics of prayer and how prayer is done in churches and in religious situations, you pray to God. You're never expecting the voice of God to speak back clearly in the present.
yeah. or, or often pray at even. Yeah, pray at, yeah. And so and so I feel like like at present for me that's the alternative. And I know that for a lot of religious people and groups and pastors and church leaders and that kind of stuff, um, that's probably the point where they go, We've heard enough, you've got nothing to offer us. And I'm okay with that because I I feel like all the people that are actually leaving Christianity because they're not actually finding the God they're looking for in it are the people that are are, are out there and they're leaving the other religions too. I, I think I think it's an opportunity to to open dialogue with people that are looking for that, that that have that felt experience and going, I know what that is. I don't have the words for it. Uh, we've got to fumble for it. Uh, we're not choosing between options and structures <laughs> that are there. You know, there's a lot of church deconstructionists, you know, whether you're looking at a Richard Jacobson with the unchurch or a Brian McLaren and, um, you know, emerging church or any of those kinds of things or Frank Viola and, you know, community and service of the community as the kingdom of God, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of alternatives, but I feel like what they're doing is they, they're transitioning from the institutions the churches we've had it in recent history, which is Christendom in translation as Catholicism and Protestantism, but it's now that institution in translation as communalism, as, as a community, but it's actually still the same thing. It's just, it's just the leopard that changes its spots, you know, whereas I, I think, I think we've got to set the institution aside and go, what if we didn't make our work building an institution? Or a following, um, you know. I'm I, I'm I'm wrestling with this. I, I haven't I haven't landed on something yet, you know. But 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 what I am certain of is that is that we need to go from that. There's the one-off thing that I didn't know that drew near in person. I caught a glimpse of the unknown something, and when I looked, it was gone. But you know what? I'm, I'm now going to be God spotting because I'm I'm looking out for that glimpse. And then I'm going to pounce, and I'm going to get it. <laughs> you know, that's that's what I'm looking for. And I think I think for me that is the alternative, and that's certainly the alternative for now. Um, and and obviously, like I, you know, I, you know, I'd I'd be lying if I said I didn't have a whole ton of other thoughts. But 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 I feel like for me that's that's the foundational point of departure. What what I love about that is I think it it acknowledges <clears throat> very much the vulnerability of that releasing the system, letting go of that, that first order change idea and stepping into the second and going, um, we almost have to find new language in some ways. The, I, I love that idea that that stumbling, bumbling for what is this? What are we quite trying to say? What have we experienced? I caught a glimpse or all that sort of idea. Um, and that it is not then a natural consequence or a natural follow-on that we're going to get a hundred of those people together and stick them in a building every Sunday for an hour and a half. And it's relinquishing that is going to be always the end game um, and going, what if that's not? And and what would that look like to, to look over the horizon to something we haven't seen yet, rather than just build here the same little models that we have been building, but are still not serving us well. And so all sorts of questions arise sort of in me of, from what you've said, but perhaps this is a great place to, to, to take pause and we can pursue that in a follow-up sometime. Yeah, I, I think so too. I've, you know, I, I'm just looking at a time log and we, we have to an hour and 15 already. And I, I certainly didn't expect it to go on that long. Um, you know, um, 
but it's it's really wonderful to have these conversations with you you know um and and i enjoy having these conversations with 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 people in general you know uh, but thank you so much for being willing to be part of this on a podcast and to you know and to join in and just to to be the wonderful you that you are it's kind of it's such a pleasure it's awesome to have the invite and likewise i enjoy the uh, not just the intellectual stimulation that comes with this, of which there is plenty, uh, but I love the fact that it feels like there's it's continual deep digging to to what is real and to not settle for let's have a podcast and we'll just create a another little system like that. Um, and it's it's holding almost onto this great naivety that says what is beyond that horizon. We there could there has to be something better than this. And I love that. That's what it stimulates for me. So thanks very much for the invite. It's awesome to be a part of it.